0: Alright guys, we are going back in history to remind ourselves of a little event with Matthew Shepard. Maybe you've heard his name, maybe you haven't, maybe you remember that story, maybe you don't. We're going to talk about it and why it's relevant today. Let's check it out. This is the Gaining My Perspective podcast and you're hanging here with me, Wendy Cunningham. You're here to get empowered, inspired, informed, and encouraged as we navigate the everyday journey of this crazy life. Stick around, because we're going to laugh, and we're going to learn. And above all else, we're going to gain perspective. Hello, guys, and happy Saturday. Today, I am coming to you from Florida. I'm actually... Looking out at the Gulf. Actually, I'm looking out at a bay off the Gulf in Alligator Point. I'm super excited to have a little time away for some much needed rest and relaxation. And this is the perfect place to do it because it's not touristy. There's like nothing really. I mean, there's things we could do, but it's really just about some downtime. And I know we could all use a little bit of. Some downtime. So, I wanted to do this um, little podcast episode and then I'm gonna take a little break and relax f- for this time with my family. My mom's here, it was her 70th birthday this year. So, we're just celebrating her and spending some time with her and having a whole lot of seafood, which is her favorite thing to eat. And I'm stoked. So, right now, my kids are at the end of a dock fishing their little hearts out, and it's just beautiful weather, and I just don't even want to think about the hurricane that's coming to Florida, because hopefully it doesn't shorten our trip, but if it does, you know what, oh well, we're just going to make the most of the time we have, but I just couldn't not do a podcast today. I wanted to do it a couple of days ago, but as always, it's just crazy schedule trying to get on the road with a family. But Today, I want to remind you, which is probably going to uh, date me a little bit and expose my age, <laughs> which is so weird because I finally feel like I'm at a place in life where I can say there are things I know that some of my friends don't even remember at all. Like, I'm in a place where I have friends, because apparently I have young friends, who don't really remember September 11th. Like, they were in elementary school or, you know, even younger. So, uh, this is one of those things that is going to date me a little bit, but I want to remind you of a young man named Matthew Shepard. And the reason why I want to remind you of this is because when Matthew Shepard died, and I'll talk about the circumstances in just a second, it was one of those kind of pivotal moments that really shaped how I viewed important things in my life, namely my faith. And Matthew Shepard was a, gosh, I feel like he was in his very early 20s, if not late teens, probably early 20s, in Wyoming, Laramie, Wyoming. And he was a gay kid and he was beaten to death and left to die, actually tied to a fence. He was beaten really, really badly, tied to a fence and left to die. And his assailants didn't even think that this was worthy of denying like when when they were arrested for this crime and ultimately Matthew did die and they they were upgraded from assault to homicide they were felt justified and the reason the justification for beating a young kid there was two um two perpetrators and I can't recall their names right now two young men that beat up Matthew Shepard and their defense was he made a pass at them He was gay and he made a pass at them. And so they felt justified and actually used this as their defense in court that they were justified in beating him up. They didn't intend to kill him, of course. The killing was a byproduct of the beating. But they felt like, of course, I would do what, you know, we did what anyone would do in our situation. We're not gay. How dare him, you know, come on to us and blah, blah, blah and uh it was considered the first hate crime i mean this was maybe in the late 90s early 2000s when this happened and yeah it was it was the first hate crime right we didn't know about these sorts of things obviously there was racial hate crimes happening before you know in the in the 70s um or throughout our history let's be honest but this was kind of the first like pivot where okay it wasn't because you were of a different race it was because you were of a different sexual orientation, that was kind of a new thing, right? Um, where people would would attack you just simply for that, <laughs> and what you know how it shaped my faith in this season. I was an atheist already, and I remember seeing on the news people who I considered the church at large. And you have to remember, when you aren't raised in the church, when you hold the beliefs of atheism. Every person who believes in God is a religious person. I'm using air quotes. Let's just give them that vague and general title category. They're all religious people. I don't know whether they're Catholic or Baptist or Christian or Methodist or any of these other things because as an atheist, I had no idea what any of that meant. Those were words that they used to you know, subdivide themselves, but they were all believers in God. They were all religious people to me. And so I realize now there's nuances. And now that I'm on the inside of the faith, I, I can look at what I saw then through a different lens and recognize that those were not the people that were protesting uh, Matthew's death. And, and this is true. I remember seeing this on the news. There were people who, who positioned themselves as believers in God, were protesting Matthew Shepard's funeral With signs like there are no fags in heaven and death to fags. And I mean, just this horrendous, atrocious rhetoric coming from people who said they believed in God, using the Bible to justify this hate against Matthew Shepard, not against his murderers, although I'm sure they didn't hold them in high esteem either, but they were at Matthew Shepard's funeral making this huge scene and it was really gross and and as a non-believer this only affirmed to me that i wanted nothing to do with the faith again now that i'm on the inside i can see that those were people who do not share the same beliefs as me who do not share the same beliefs as most christians i know you know obviously that is not a biblical the you know that's just not a biblical stance that is horrific theology (laughs) but i didn't know that then what i saw is People who are believing in God are standing in a position of hate, misplaced hate. And I now understand that the Bible, and even then I understood, the Bible says we're meant to love, right? So we might not agree that Matthew Shepard had a lifestyle that was biblical or a lifestyle or a sexual orientation that would have been um, condoned by God. You can articulate that or I can articulate that now. However, that does not mean that he was not loved by God. That does not mean that he could not be redeemed by God or forgiven by God or repent to God. It does not mean that I'm allowed to hate him or any of those things. Absolutely the opposite. I'm always called to love. Always called to love because God made everybody in his image. Not just me, not just Christians, everyone. So whether you believe in God or not, you are made in his image and you're to be loved by us because you are loved by God. So this was just a terrible stance for the church to take any, any, any sect of the church to take. I recognize the church as a whole did not take this stance, but it was so pivotal to me. And it was obviously pivotal to the world. It was a huge news story. It was all over the place. And, you know, Matthew Shepard was actually found alive. (laughs) He was, um, Gosh, it was, I'm remembering the details now. He was found by a biker who was riding his bike out in the sticks of Laramie, Wyoming, and came across this... He, could, he didn't even recognize it as a body tied to the fence. He thought it was a Halloween prank because it was around this time of year. He thought it was like some sort of horrific Halloween prank, like this is a scarecrow or some sort of a dummy or whatever. And as he approached this thing tied to the fence, he saw that it was breathing and recognized it was a person and, of course, called 911, Matthew was taken to the hospital, and did not survive but he spent a couple of days in the hospital and in the meantime now we have a crime and where we find these guys who did not even leave town like I'm saying they didn't see what they had done as wrong they were not trying to flee they were not trying to hide they did not deny that they had done what they did they didn't intend to kill him. they were very clear about that but of course as he died they didn't seem to feel much more guilt about it and this was crazy to me right that this could happen and that there would just be such a flippant approach to life, right? That there just wouldn't be remorse, that there was just this kind of innate evil that existed in these just otherwise, you know, perfectly normal guys. I think they might have had, you know, small misdemeanor type criminal background, nothing crazy. It's not like these were cartel members. These were not like, you know, lifelong criminal guys. They were young also, But the lack of remorse, just this approach of life is so disposable. This is just because he thought differently than them, because he lived his life differently than them, he held a different ideology than them, that he was somehow disposable and that there wasn't any room for remorse around that loss of life is just staggering, right? Even now, looking back on it, I remember it just marked me. And of course I was in theater my entire life, and so there was a show that was written years later called The Laramie Project. It's great, you should also watch it. (laughs) There's a movie, and it's a play, and the play is way better, as is always the case. But um, I remember my college, when I was in college at San Diego State, did this play. I saw it twice, I remember sitting in the audience for like 15 minutes after it ended, just collecting myself because I was so devastated. And the, what I loved about the show, The Laramie Project, is it's a documentary, essentially. These, these investigators, these reporters went to Laramie, Wyoming and interviewed people from the church and interviewed you know, people that were involved, including the two men who killed Matthew Shepard and these interviews are essentially reenacted on the stage right or in the movie and so it's really kind of unique and an awesome theatrical documentary which you don't see that in that's in that you know way presented in that way like a documentary often so it's unique and it's crazy because they're actually saying from stage the words that these people said and so much of it struck me and just gosh it it it's, it's just such a pivotal moment. And so uh, that's why I wanted to bring it to your mind because what has recently happened in our country and is not being reported, is not getting all the news coverage that Matthew Shepard got, and probably will mark exactly zero people's lives is the death of an 18 year old boy, Kaylor Ellingson, in North Dakota this past week. Kaylor's not going to get a play. written after him. Kaler's not going to have a movie written after him, probably. I mean, I hope I'm wrong, trust me. But Kaler fell victim to a similar crime. A man named Shannon Brandt, who was 41 years old, fatally struck with his car, Kaler, who was 18 years old, okay? Now, similarly to the Matthew Shepard case, this was in North Dakota. So similar part of the country, right? You would call that maybe a more conservative area. And in the Matthew Shepard trial, of course, the killers would have been considered the conservatives and the victim would have been considered the you know more liberal-leaning person. And then here we have it flipped where... The killer is the more liberal person in this scenario, and the victim is the conservative extremist or the MAGA extremist, however you'd like to look at it. And this is why we're seeing differences in the reporting. Now, we're talking about decades apart. Matthew Shepard was decades apart, decades ago, and Kaler is now happening right now. But the situation is the same, and this is actually revealing to me because I would have thought that like just my own personal experience it feels that the narrative has shifted so dramatically in favor of liberal victims right of of all races ethnic, ethnicities sexual orientations lifestyles etc ideologies like the favor is for sure on the left leaning victim you're you're not going to not hear about a liberal kid mowed down with their vehicle, by a MAGA Republican. You just wouldn't not hear about that, period, full stop. But apparently, I thought that was just more recent. But apparently, that's always kind of been the case. Apparently, that's even decades ago we were seeing that. Or maybe decades ago, we just had more of an innate understanding that human life was valuable and it was a tragedy when someone flippantly took the life of someone else, no matter what the ideology, I'm not sure. I'm not sure which it is. I'm not sure if it was because of the situation and the political angle that could be portrayed through the lens of this story. I mean, back decades ago, I was a Democrat. I was thinking more along those lines. So maybe I'm perceiving it differently because now I don't feel that way. I'm much more conservative, obviously. I don't know what it is, but I do know, I just asked my mother, if she has heard anything about this mentioned in the news, because she watches, of course, Fox News and the main, mainstream news, MSNBC. She hasn't heard a lick about it. Not one thing has hit her phone. Not one news alert has come her direction about this story in North Dakota that happened this week. Of course, I have because I'm always reading more alternative media and all of that sort of stuff. So I'm just like, I know she heard about Matthew Shepard because it was on prime time. I know, I remember Matthew Shepard's father's closing remarks. Of course, they're in the show, the play, and the the movie, but I remember hearing them on the news. Matthew Shepard's dad got up at his uh, murder trial and essentially removed the death penalty from these two men who were charged with murdering his son. He took off the table the death penalty and and showed mercy where it was not... um, where others might not have showed mercy, right? Where it wasn't deserved because there was no remorse. But he showed them mercy. And I remember that was just spectacular. That was just stunning and, and broke my heart and healed my heart and, and showed me humanity was good again. But here we see we're not even seeing a thing about this in the mainstream we're not even recognizing there is a tragedy that has happened and it's it's exposing the heart of our culture that was what was do that was what happened with Matthew Shepard is a tragedy exposed the heart of our culture and in that time decades ago absolutely there was a prejudice against gay people there was a prejudice against alternative lifestyles absolutely and it needed to be exposed It needed to be healed in our culture. And that's what journalism is supposed to do. Expose these things so that we can sit in the audience for 15 minutes after the play is done and think about it. And really, like, search our own heart. Where do I do this? Where is this? How could this have been me? How could have I had this kind of hate towards someone that didn't think like I did? Or how could I become victim to something like this where somebody could attack me for something that I can't control or or an idea I hold or a lifestyle I've chosen or a religion I follow, whatever. It's an opportunity to expose where we're broken and do some healing as a culture. And here we see a media and journalists absolutely not doing that. So this is an opportunity where we can go, you guys, do you see what we have come to as a culture? Do you see where we're at? It hardly matters, although it's relevant, it hardly matters which side is the victim. This is a blaring example, just like Matthew Shepard, of the brokenness of our culture, where our hearts are hardened and where we need massive healing, but we first need the revelation that it's even happening and it's being covered up and disguised because it doesn't fit a narrative. Oh my goodness gracious. The, the sickness, the sickness in our land, y'all, the sickness in our land. And similarly to Matthew Shepard, this gentleman, Shannon Brandt, who killed Kaler, is expressing zero remorse. He said his defense is that Joe Biden just gave a speech, which I didn't even talk about because so many people talked about it his, you know, addressing of the nation, which with his fiery red wall behind him and his Hitler fists and all the things that we all just saw, where he just spat absurd, hateful, hateful rhetoric, divisive rhetoric. This president that ran on Nothing else but unifying our country, a right, has been the most divisive president we've probably ever seen, including Trump. Trump Trump was divisive because people received him poorly. He did not speak out divisive rhetoric like Joe Biden did, right? Joe Biden is calling on half the country as extremists, calling on half the country as our enemy, the enemy of democracy, the enemy of our country. And what happens no more than a week later, is a 41-year-old man takes it, on his, takes it into his own hands to eliminate one of these MAGA Republican extremists and uses the exact same language, the exact same words that Joe Biden said in his speech. Our president, our leader, this man uses his words to justify his own actions. He uses Joe Biden's words to justify killing an 18-year-old boy with his car. Now, a couple of key things here. His bail was set at $50,000, 50,000, so of course he was out immediately. He is being charged with uh, vehicular manslaughter, even though he chased down this kid for a long time. I don't know how long, long enough for this Kaler to call his mom two times in a panic, running away from a man in a vehicle, saying, this man is trying to kill me. Come and pick me up. Twice, he has enough time to call his mom two times and request that she comes to pick him up. And when his mother arrives on the scene, so enough time for her to get in her car and drive to the scene, she finds her son dead, having been struck by this man's vehicle. Similar to Matthew Shepard, this man doesn't deny it. He immediately admits to having done it. And then he uses this absurd rhetoric to justify what he has done. No remorse. No remorse. He says, this was a MAGA Republican. This was a a extremist. We had a disagreement. While he was in his car, apparently they had a disagreement. They got into an argument. And he identified that this 18-year-old was a Republican was an extremist because he was a a Republican. (laughs) He was an extremist. He was a threat to democracy. He needed to be eliminated. And this man, I actually heard his quote over the radio, uh, Shannon Brandt, that he needed to get out of jail quickly. He was grateful for the low bail set because he needed to get back to his family and he had responsibilities at home. He had a job he had to get back to. He had this just pompous attitude like I can't believe they even burdened me with arresting me for this. I have a family to take care of. I'm really glad I got to get home to my kids. I'm really, I need to get back to work. I have responsibilities to get back to. Excuse me, there's a person who is dead because of the actions that you took and you have the gall to just be like flippant about the life that isn't here anymore. It's not vehicular manslaughter. It's not like you were drunk and accidentally hit a kid. You intentionally chased down and struck this kid and left the scene. You intended to kill him with your car. (laughs) There's no other way to say it. And you're not denying that. It is blowing my mind that this is not all over the place and that we're not taking a national moment of pause and going, whoa, whoa. I would like to hope that there would be more people like I was decades ago who see this happen in the world, this Matthew Shepard moment and go, oh my goodness gracious, we are sick. We are sick. Cause I don't just think there's one, there's two guys randomly in Laramie, Wyoming willing to do this. I recognized immediately there's people all over this country that would be, that would do something like this. There are. Oh my gosh, that's so sad to me, right? That was a moment of heaviness, a moment where I recognized there is a sickness in our land. And this is that moment, again, where we should be as a nation pausing and going, Oh my gosh, look how far we've come. Look how far we've fallen away from our own humanity. Because it is not just one random man in North Dakota that would be willing to do something like this. You know There are plenty of people all across this great land on both sides of the aisle that would be willing to do something like this. But I got to say, it doesn't seem to me that the political extremists, that the violent extremists are on the right side. Because what I have seen is this, as an example. They love to talk about January 6th. And they are throwing away these people in jail and locking, locking them and throwing away the key is what I meant to say. Locking them up and throwing away the key, charging them with 20 years for what should be a misdemeanor trespassing crime, coming up with all kinds of, of charges to throw at them. And yet we have a man here who knowingly and willingly ran over a kid because of his political beliefs gets a $50,000 bail, not held in solitary confinement for a single minute, is out living his life, and is getting a minimal charge for the crime he's committed, do we see ourselves some double jeopardy here? Not double jeopardy, double standard. Do we see a double standard? When we see riots all through the summer of 2020 where we're burning down buildings, we're attacking police officers and police vehicles, burning them down, busting, trying to break into police precincts for months. Fires just roaring all across this country. And we call those peaceful protests. I mean, this is a dead horse. I'm sick of beating. But then we have one singular day and people remember that January 6th is the day that right-wing extremists killed police officers when not a single police officer was killed by a right-wing extremist. When the facts aren't even straight. I mean, come on, it hurts my heart because I see the sickness of our land and I cannot believe that we are not taking a a national moment of pause to go, what on earth? How far we have fallen, how much we need to realign ourselves with the heart of Christ, all of us. And where's the church going to be this time? Because there are unbelievers that are watching this happening. There are unbelievers that are watching this happening and please, Lord Jesus, do not let them see a single person who calls themselves your follower stand on the wrong side of this. That is my hope and that is my my revelation every day is like, Lord, just reveal where you would have me stand in all of these issues, right? Because it's not on the right or the left. It's not black and white like that. It's not like you need to be on the Republican side of every argument. guys. That's so old and tired. (laughs) That doesn't mean you're right. It doesn't mean you're correct if you're standing on one or the other side of a political aisle. Where would God have you sit? Where would God have you stand? Where would God have you speak up? Because this is, this cannot go on. This cannot go on. We have got to make this known. We have got to say, look where we are at we need to take a minute. We need to back the train up because we are about to go over a cliff that we cannot climb back out of. And we deserve every bit of judgment coming our way, y'all. We deserve it because look where we're at. Because the church has been quiet for a really long time or worse, the church has been defending the wrong things for a really long time. Or the church has been tolerating the wrong things for a really long time. We need to get back in the word. We need to get back in the Word. And I read Esther this morning. All the entire book of Esther. I love the book of Esther. Go read it. It's a, it's a book for our, mo- for our time, right? Of course, you know the quote, maybe, if you're a, a student of the Word, that for such a time as this, right? You have been put in this position for such a time as this. That's like the most famous poll quote from Esther. We have been put... In this time in history for such a time as this we have been given our positions in this world in our culture with a mouth to use and Mordecai tells Esther if you don't act don't you worry God will position somebody else to act where he has positioned you to act if you don't want to participate that's fine you will fall victim to the consequences of the judgment when it comes don't you worry but he will position someone else in your place. God's will will be done. He will either rescue us and redeem us or judge us and redeem us. Either way, we get our redemption because he is good, not because we are good. We are terrible, obviously. <laughs> but we can either play our role in alignment with God's will or he'll move us right on out and put someone else in that position. Don't waste your opportunity. Don't waste your opportunity to be an Esther in this time, to be a Daniel in this time. I just read the book of Daniel before I read the book of Esther. Two amazing books for this time. Are we going to have integrity church? Are we going to stand when things are broken? Are we going to heal things when they're when they're hurting, when they're sick? We have got to speak life over our culture. We can't speak death over our culture. We have to speak life over our, our culture and trust in God's sovereignty, but we cannot not act. And I don't mean be violent. You must, please hear me. Please know what I'm saying. When I say act, whatever God's telling you to do, whatever God's telling you to say, whoever God's telling you to speak to, whoever God's telling you to pray over and intercede over. My uh, cousin was just here for a week for church conference, and I know that he is praying over one of his like, earthly rivals, if you will, earthly enemies, if you will, if we can even say that, right? <laughs> he is praying over the person it is hardest in his life for him to love or pray over, and he's doing it faithfully, and it renewed my faith that, the, I should, why am I not doing that? I should be doing that more, good for you. Good for you, brand new Christian. Way to pray over your own enemies. We, who is God asking you to pray over? Who is God asking you to intercede in the supernatural for? My goodness gracious, we have got to heal our land, y'all. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate this podcast and tell all your friends. And of course, catch me over at gainingmyperspective.com. Let us heal our own hearts. Let us use this story as an opportunity to look within where are we like these these evil men and where are we like these vulnerable victims? Because we have humanity in the same way they both do. We are flawed. We are evil. We are good. We're all the things. Where do we heal within so that we can start to be your hands and feet in this culture, Lord? And then where are you calling us? Let us continue to look for that revelation. Look for that word from you. Where are you calling us because of where you've positioned us? Let us be Esther's and Daniel's in our time, Lord. Let the church rise to the occasion. In your son's name we ask this. Amen.